Grace to you in peace from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The message for today rises up out of the Gospel lesson just read from Matthew 5, under the theme, I'll tell you what and why. Dear members of St. John's and welcome guests, have you ever attended a party or a gathering where someone completely dominates this conversation or the issue with sometimes some rather radical views of their own interpretation of reality. And in that situation, if you propose a contrary realistic point of view, they castigate you by saying, you don't know what you're talking about and I really question your intelligence that doesn't really warm the cockles of your heart, does it? Well, today we rejoin Jesus on his as well as our mission that we've been following during this Epiphany season. And we find him still up there on the mountain sermonizing, issuing some rather radical proposals and a plea to have a more precise interpretation of the sacred and sacrosanct law of God. The Gospel writer Matthew casts Jesus in the role of being a prophet, a prophet who is greater than even the greatest of all the Hebrew prophets, God's servant Moses. We heard that in olden times, Moses went up the mountain of Sinai and there received from God his standards and conditions of behavior he expected from the ones who had received his redemption from slavery, as well as his grace and loving protection and presence. However, over the course of time, that guide, that Torah, that law of God, governing the behavior of God's people, sudden somehow became a little subject to variant interpretations. Such one of those corruptions was to reduce everything to their least common meaning. We heard that last week. But Jesus says, I'll tell you what, just because you've never killed anybody doesn't mean that you're absolved when you hate, when you seek revenge, or when you're asking for God to take punishment upon someone else. That doesn't absolve you from that commandment. Jesus says, I'll tell you what, just because you've never actually committed adultery doesn't mean that you're absolved when you lust, when you have all kinds of unclean thoughts, and when you treat your wife like a piece of trashy property. That doesn't cut it. Then there were others who went to the opposite extreme of adding extra prescriptions to the law that governed even the slightest minutia of human life. What actually constitutes work on the Sabbath day? Specifically, whom can I associate with and when? Prescriptions for ostentatious acts of poverty, piety that we're going to hear on Ash Wednesday in a week and a half. 
613 plus commandments, laws in all. And Jesus says, I'll tell you what, I can reduce those 613 plus down to just two. Love God totally, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, Jesus is very good at telling us what, but now comes the four-year-old's question, is our question as well, why? Why shouldn't I seek revenge when someone does something harmful to me or my family? Why should I turn my cheek when somebody slaps it on the face? Why should I not duck the stuffings out of him instead? Oh, tell me why I should give the clothes off my back to the one who's suing me for everything I own. Make some sense out of that for me, will you, Jesus? And lo and behold, he does. Or better, he did. He did so already at the opening of that sermon that we heard a couple weeks ago, remember? He said, you are the salt of the earth. Don't lose your saltiness. You are a city up there on a hill. Let people see you. You are the light of the world. So let that light shine before others so that they can see what the good things you do and not say, oh boy, aren't you great? But they'll say, I'll give glory to the God who made you so. As recipients of God's forgiving grace, and being accepted into his loving relationship. Each one of us assumes the mantle and the mission of accurately portraying God to others. We are a neon billboard sign moving through life, and we are showing his loving concern for all his fallen and lost creation to bring them back. Nothing takes priority over that not property, not safety or security, but all for the purpose of God. We are to be like Goldilocks's porridge. You can't be too cold with empty platitudes, and you can't be too hot with extraneous restrictions. You got to be just right. Or Jesus says you've got to be perfect, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. I don't know about you, but for me, that's a tall order. So often we fail, do we not, in that mission. We wind up either not representing or misrepresenting God to others, and that's serious because it ruins our credibility for any future witness, and it also tells us that we're really not a child of God. Our identity is destroyed. But take heart, because it is here that God places a huge asterisk on our rebirth certificate. 
In case of emergency, it says your 911 call goes directly to your reliable substitute. He is the one who literally lived to perfection his own. I'll tell you what. He purposely went around in the muck and mire of associating with sinners and tax collectors. He was the one who, when slapped on his cheek, turned the other cheek as well. He was the one who went the extra miles that we were too weak to walk. He was the one who, when they stripped him of all of his clothing and nailed him to a cruel cross, begged, Father, forgive them because they just don't know what they're doing. His great get-up morning of resurrection now causes us and gives us the incentive to get up and go make disciples of all nations, confident that we've been restored in his image and can again be his faithful representative. And speaking of faithful representatives, today we honor the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther. On this, the anniversary of his death, of February 18, 1546, three short months after his 62nd birthday. Though he felt that he was totally inadequate for the situation, Luther's life purpose became one of restoring, again, the message the false image of God that was being presented by the church of his day to the church as well as to the world. Dealing with the issues not unsimilar to the ones Jesus has in our text for today, Luther led that 16th century effort to restore the what of God's message and the why of God's mission. So we praise him for his abundant life, for his ardent faith, as well as for his restored message. But the rigors of his early monastic life, of fasting, of sleep deprivation, of long prayers and penance took their toll on him. We are told that unto his 42nd birthday, he was thin and undernourished, owing to his utter disregard for his bodily needs. And then at 42, he got married. And probably it was the good cooking of his wife, Katie, and perhaps maybe a glass or two of German beer that began to expand his girth. In fact, he once quipped, I want to give the worms a healthy meal when they put me in the ground. Luther suffered many illnesses in his life. Among them today we would say were kidney stones, gout, and heart problems. And friends noted that in his later life, the subject of death increasingly entered into his conversation. After traveling a rigorous 83 miles in the dead of a January winter, back to his hometown, his home birth town of Eisleben, to settle a dispute among princes, 
That dispute was finally settled after a long, drawn-out debate on February 17th. That night he enjoyed a good meal, went to his room along with his two sons, and then in the course of the morning hours he suffered a series of what we would call heart attacks or pains in the chest. And when realizing that perhaps the end was near, his good friend and colleague, Dr. Jonas, asked him this penetrating question. Reverend Father, are you willing to die for the Christ and the doctrine which you proclaimed? We are told that Luther summoned all the strength he had left and answered that everyone could hear, Yah, yes. And that was his last word. The funeral procession lasted several days, bringing his body back to his home in Wittenberg. And his body was then buried in front of the very pulpit where he proclaimed his message so often in the castle church at Wittenberg. May he rest in eternal peace, and may we, who are called by his name, continue the venue both Christ and Luther described, proscribed, and emulated. And with that, we come down from the Sermon Mountain and we get ready next week to go up to another mountain called Transfiguration that leads us into Lent. I know you'll want to be here for that, so I'll see you then. Amen.